0: Hello, Louise. Hello, Sarah. So here we are for chapter six of Journey of the Adopted Self by Betty Jean Lifton. Chapter six is called Artificial Self-Forbidden Self, and it's kind of all about the split personality of an adoptee and with that early psychic trauma and how, how one handles it.
1: Yeah. At the beginning, I was like, I don't know if I relate to this much. And then I have like four circle things that say, me, me, me. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I guess I do relate. <laughs> Once again, it's like reading this uncovers so many aha moments for me
0: mm-hmm.
1: where I almost have to stop and go, and have memories I've forgotten about. Just things that you stuff down. Yeah. I don't know if that happens to you, but it's very, well, just right at the beginning, she starts off with a drawing. Edward gory a drawing that elicits mm-hmm. both wonder and dread. And it says in which a boy stands on top of a ravine looking out into the distance, while his teddy bear having slipped from his grasp falls into the abyss below the adopted child, having perceived the terrible truth that children can be lost from their parents is both the boy and the teddy bear mm-hmm. in the drawing. I'm going to look that drawing up, but right away, this brought up two things for me. One is, I have a weird fear of heights, but besides that, it's I always, since I was young, dreamed that I was falling and I still have these dreams Oh yeah, and that I'm also being stolen. Two things I've dreamed always and are two of my biggest fears. Like I'll literally be somewhere and be scared. Someone will whisk me off into a van, you know, which is a lot of young people, of course, when you're young, but I mean, I've had them since I can remember. And she actually tackled that in this and. I don't know, how did this beginning hit you when you started reading?
0: Yeah, I've had falling dreams and I think a lots of people have had those. So I I don't necessarily equate that to my adoption, but what got to me was just, there's already the wounds, but yet then there's a third, right? So the Mm -hmm. birth and then being adopted. The third trauma is the secrecy that disconnects the adoptee from their history and their parentage. And that I really... Yeah. I have it right there. Yeah. Secrecy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There was
1: a lot in the chapter that. Well, she gets into the two selves, right?
0: Yes. The divided and the, and the artificial.
1: Yeah. So when she starts with the divided self, I thought, was I like that? I started to review, was I this child who like thought one thing and then you suppress another. And I think I really did actually, Mm -hmm. because She even mentions, you know, I had a really good relationship with my parents, obviously. And so you get that guilt thing. Like, should I evaluate this? Like, I love them there. So she says, even in the best of situations, you have it. It's in Mm -hmm. there. And then I kind of feel like I have permission to look at that. And the part where she says that you push something down, like you're this bad kid or a good kid. I used to feel really bad inside and guilty all the time. And then the self-loathing that came from that. If I disappointed my parents or I saw it on their face, I just had this, this fear that I've like done something that I don't think is normal to have this self-loathing guilt. Like, oh my gosh, I'm just the world's biggest disappointment. So I'd work harder to not be, and they're probably just being normal reaction to me, like disappointed. But to me, it was a huge thing. And I felt a lot of that divided self, like how she wrote about it psychologically really kind of gotten the core.
0: But, you know, maybe I think there is some truth and maybe not in the case of your parents or every adoptive parent, but I definitely think, you know, they're grappling with their own disappointment of, of infertility and that this isn't their biological child and particularly adoptive parents who hadn't had, didn't have biological children, you know, yours did, but so there, there might be some truth to that without them knowing, you know, like a, it's like the kind of yeah. feeling of you're not really mine that translates, however, it translates to the adoptee. So then we're like the clown, you know, not the clown, but what's the, the gesture, jester? the jester trying to save your life. Yeah. Uh, and perform in a way. And it even says that there's a double message of being and not being. The parents are saying you are not what you were born to be, but what we want you to be. Only if adopted children commit themselves fully to the identity of the adoptive clan can they have the adoptive parents love. And
1: you do do that because I remember actually trying to be who I was supposed to be in the family, you know, because my family was a strong family with certain pride about certain things. And I'd try so hard to be that and not really, I mean, you're a pretend person in that way because I'd be that, but inside thinking do they realize I'm not like that? Now I can say it with words, but back then I didn't know what the problem was, but I felt isolated from that. And it's very interesting because psychologically this just is what it is. I mean, the baby leaving the birth. It even says,
0: yeah, they are too young to articulate what is going on inside of them, but adult adoptees looking back in sorrow, as much as in anger, understand what they did to survive. And here again, we talk about this often, but the child forced to give up the real self cannot develop feelings of belonging. There's instead a feeling of basic anxiety of being isolated and helpless, which is totally how I've felt my whole life. And again, you know, I've said this every podcast, but you know, mine is conflated too with my mom, adoptive mom having like when they split and then stayed with my dad, and there was just total loneliness and confusion and isolation and so. It makes me sad that we didn't find this till later in life. I know to,
1: to ponder on, you know, just, I even find it now, honestly, how she says you have a hard time connecting and being real in a situation. I have a really hard time or anger. This was a thing she brought up that if there's anger going on, so my family could be, you know, they could argue. My mom used to say they loved hard and could fight hard, you know, and they couldn't, but I, that scared me both versions scared me being loved too much. I didn't understand like that. I was the push away and then arguing scared me. So if there's ever any kind of disagreements or whatever, I just want to run away. And I have that now with friends, with relationships. And I work really hard to like stay in there in the uncomfortable when I'm so unkind. You and I both have that, I know. So it's like it's, but I think this all stems from this, from trying to just mask over anything that's going to make you vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And she got into the artificial self too—how you create a new person. Really, the artificial self talks to the real self, like you talk to each other. Like, did you ever have that? Like two different people?
0: I think so. She and she also talks a lot about fantasies. You yes. know, as you get like the ghost kingdom and fantasies. I've talked about how I would put in my transistor radio, <laughs> and they weren't called AirPods, but whatever they were. I forget what they're called. I know. <laughs> and just zone out and fantasize that I was anywhere, but where I was and wondering who I was and what wonderful world lay ahead of me in it. or in the car. I'd lean my head against the window and stare out and just constantly in a fantasy world. Yeah. And she I also- think my teachers would say stuff too, like, so your head is in the clouds. And, yeah. Your head's in the clouds. There's I recently an, did my yes. Enneagram. I don't know. You oh, haven't done it yet. No, but I'm going to. My Enneagram enneagram says that you are who you are at birth, but my Enneagram reads so much like an adoptee. Like, oh, it does. I'm crazy to do mine. We need to yes. We should do a whole Facebook Live on that. <laughs> on Enneagrams. Yeah. Because so. <laughs>
1: that'd be interesting. One thing you said that you just reminded me of, because this is a long chapter. She said that sometimes the adoptee will take on, this is something I did is take on role models, like a lot of role models in your life as adults that you are trying to almost find fit for. And I did that with, I was on teams I was on and student council and teachers. I actually was like, oh my gosh, that's my childhood, was finding these role models I would glam onto and really try to learn from and pattern off of. And it's funny you said that with teachers because I kind of was that trying to appease kid. And yet I got in a lot of trouble and was also Mm -hmm. not a good kid. So
0: I got in a lot of trouble. There was a whole example of a, of an adoptee boy who was adopted into a Jewish family and he was told he was adopted and that his birth mother wasn't Jewish. You know, they converted him to Judaism. And then when it was time for his bar mitzvah, he was like, I don't want to do it they made him do it and he happily went along with it and then started acting out all Terribly. over the place. And finally his mom, then he would ask about his birth mother. Oh, we don't, we don't know anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then when he, they finally, his adopted mother took it upon herself to sort of, I guess he went to therapy. He was in lots of therapy and took it upon herself to finally like investigate yes. all this and and that made me think i think i wrote it down that it was sad but it was also kind of selfish you should have done all this before you know maybe it was the time but again i go back to that that adoption was about their needs the parents' yeah. say, I'm not about that baby because if that kid was saying i need to know more information yeah. this is how i'm feeling and you're just like you can't have that information they kept putting because him she off. said she yeah. was scared that she would lose him. It's kind of like a relationship, but you know, if you're not
1: honest, you might lose him, but you have to be honest. Yeah. And th- you know, that reminded me too. I- I've talked about this before. My my dad, one area that he really, he kind of got that I didn't fit sometimes, which I really appreciate. I wish he was alive so I could say, you know, I really appreciate that about you because my family back East was very, they did the debutante ball, the whole thing and everybody came out and had a. What is that called cotillion? You know, the whole mm-hmm. two of my relatives were very much pushing my dad for me to have that. I spent my summers back East and they were like, Oh, she, she's not a proper woman until she has this, you know, a whole thing. And I remember just being like adamantly, first of all, I have social anxiety in those kinds of situations, but I, and I didn't know what that was back then, but I was like, Oh no. And I remember telling my dad, I don't want this. And he was like, that's not you. That's just not you. And you don't have to have that. And he said, do you think that's you? And I'm like, nope. And he's like, I don't either. I wasn't that girly girl. I And he knew, though, that there was something he was sensing that I just, maybe because he had a hard childhood. That yeah. I was doing this to fit them. It almost makes me cry. But it's funny because I thought about that boy when I was reading it. And, like, that really changed his life. It pushed him into a whole
0: other- Yeah. Yeah, he was in, how many different, they put him in, like, a psychiatric ward or something? Yes crazyville
1: just because he was who he was saying this isn't me that's literally what he was saying (laughs) ah i know and then the ghost kingdom was interesting i i didn't fantasize as much as you did but i did a lot of daydream yeah maybe i did i just didn't i didn't i was kind of the one she said in there that squashed down like the birth mother was you know how people fantasize who the birth mother was or where they're from i more was like didn't want to bring it up in my own head even i didn't want to think about it I think about her, I did the squashing, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really work either. It comes out later, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I I thought this was interesting, the luck of the draw. Yeah. By the age of seven, right? Which Mm -hmm. that pivotal point when my parents got divorced, I was seven. By the age of seven, most adopted children are still open and trusting with their parents as they begin to probe for more concrete information about their birth mother and the circumstances of the birth. Without the luck of the draw, adopted children will find themselves with parents who use them to serve their own emotional needs. That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> you know, that yeah. whole thing with sevens,
1: my husband's fascinated by it. Every seven years, psychologically, there's in development, it's like seven, 14, and 21 are huge shifts. And mm-hmm. I just thought about that. That happened to you at seven. Yeah. Because that's actually a huge pivotal time as a seven-year-old. The last part of it is kind of like the positive reality and the negative reality of
0: oneself, right? Adoptees hold on to positive fantasies of their fantasies of their birth parents as an escape from the mysterious reality in which they find themselves and as a way of holding on to self-esteem. Yeah. Well, on
1: Adoptee Twitter, that's so much of what I see on Adoptee Twitter and different things I'm learning and reading from other adoptees is self-esteem is the big thing for so many people. Right. And yes. that can be, and it's funny because someone just asked me, not an adoptee the other day, a friend, well, you're so confident. Sarah's like that too. I know you both. And I mean, I don't see you as not self worth or all these things. And I said, well, it's not really that because there's a lot of very successful adopted people out there. Let's, they're not, it's not all doom and gloom, but that doesn't mean inside they think that.
0: Right. Of course not. So I think
1: that that's that. I think we also and get that's, very our, good at, that's
0: our ability to be chameleons and do what we need to do to keep an image so yeah. that we're loved and kept and all of that stuff. It's some of the toughest people out there. And I was thinking
1: of all the famous people that people know that are adopted. I won't name them in case they don't want to be named, but it's some of them are the toughest people out there and most successful, but inside they're all relating from what we can see. So it's, that's. You know, yes, it, it was an interesting observation because I'm so glad that friends do have these conversations, though. I want to talk
0: about it. And I like to. I, I like that people think I'm confident. Family knew what we <laughs> really felt inside. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, here's another thing that we're getting towards the end of the chapter. Yep. But the adoptee may also show self-denigration and self-blame as a rejected child of the mm. natural parents, and as an artificial child of the pretend parents. Hmm. You're rejected on both sides.
1: Yes, (laughs) and if you try to please, there was also the cross between if you try to please one, are you dismissing the other?
0: Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's pressure and you you know guilt and yeah. One thing adoptee Twitter does say a lot, which is true, is there's so much out there about adoption, but not from our point of view, and they don't want to hear our points of view. You know. Yeah, we're wrap wrapping up in a timely manner
1: the Academy Awards. And I thought that movie, Juno, again. Oh. And, you know, I love that movie when it came out. Well, also just because it was well written, but it struck me different this time. Me too. And I was thinking, wow, that's such a change in the short amount of time for even uh-huh. my thinking, how I think of that movie. Not that, you know, I'm not going to judge the movie and lots of Juno fans out there. I, dogging your movie because i i used to love it but now i see it as a different message
0: no i'm repulsed by it now i'll, I'll be <laughs> there you straight go. up like <laughs> and i think you know the writer of that movie clearly didn't really know anybody who was adopted she just wrote the story because she had an idea but it wasn't here comes Duchess. I see her behind we have, you. We have both our dogs today an appearance.
1: You have to go to our YouTube channel. This is yes. Yeah, so if you're only
0: listening to this, go to YouTube. You'll see. You'll see both of them. I think Duchess is getting ready to to bark. To bark. <laughs> I had one last thing I wanted to, yep. to that I highlighted. Natural children who have parents, siblings, and other blood-related relatives are grounded in a reality from which they can spin their images, but adoptees do not feel grounded or connected by any such reality. Much of their imagery is not centered on the adoptive family in which they live as they belong, but rather in fantasy and imagination. And that's what I kind of want people, if anyone's listening who's not an adoptee because I will have these conversations with people and they say, "Well, I feel those abandonment issues too and I feel this and that." But there it is. That wraps up. Yeah. The major difference between yeah. kept people and not kept people.
1: Yeah. That is just what our thing is about.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Cuz everybody's going to have feelings going along, but I think that does sum it up. I like that. Yes. Well, well
0: we have a really really, really. great guest today it's just, yeah, well, you'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll talk to her soon. Bye. Bye. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Louise and I talked about it for months and we were intimidated until we heard about Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Podcasting isn't hard. Believe me, if Louise and I could figure it out, anyone can. We got a mic, some headphones, parked ourselves in our closets, and that was it. Buzzsprout did the rest. You get a great-looking podcast website, and you can track all of your analytics to see how your podcast is doing. So if you follow the link in our show notes, it lets Buzzsprout know we sent you, and you get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And bonus, you help support our show.
2: Hi, I'm just going to break in here. As a friend of the podcast and a fellow Patreon, I want to join Louise and Sarah in thanking everyone who has reached out. Frankly, I've been astounded at the number of listeners from across the world who have shared their unique stories with our podcasters. I believe in the healing power of stories. As a Patreon, I've found such pleasure in supporting the podcast and in seeing how adoptees find their people. I know how much Louise and Sarah are moved by each Patreon support. Their immediate goal is to be able to air the podcast weekly rather than bi-weekly. Eventually, they would like to advocate for more effective ways of adopting children. If you would like to support this important work either once or in an ongoing way, simply go to patreon.com, then in the search bar, type adoption colon the making of me. Thank you all, each in your own way, for bringing us together. And now let's rejoin our hosts.
1: Good morning. We're here for another interview, and we're very excited about this guest. We actually found her on TikTok, where she has a large following and just is very open about adoption and foster care and her journey. And we'd like to introduce Michaela.
3: Hi, thank you guys for having me. Thanks so much
0: for being here. Really nice to meet you.
3: Yeah, it's been nice meeting you guys too, virtually. (laughs) Yeah, virtually. (laughs) Seems to be
1: the ways of the world now. The ways of the world. And we've enjoyed just your TikToks and your story. So why don't you start?
3: Okay. So sometimes I'm like, where do I start? Okay. So I was actually born in jail, which is why I was telling you guys before we started the interview that I was in Jefferson City when I was born. That was why. My mom was incarcerated and I don't know if I'm getting this story correct, but from what I believe I was told, like everyone's telling me different things. Her like cellmate had someone to pick up her daughter. So it was a women's prison. She was also in the same cell as someone else who was pregnant and someone was coming to pick up her cellmate's baby until she could get out of prison, obviously. And apparently my mom was like, ah, I don't know who's going to watch, watch my, like, who's going to take my baby. And the, her soulmate was like, my sister will take her. So her sister came and got me. And she raised me the first few years of my life. I don't with, know. With the other baby? No, I don't think she took the other baby. So I'm very confused about the whole situation. <laughs> I was like, why didn't your sister take your baby? I don't know. I don't really quite understand it. But that is what I was told happened. And so that's how I ended up with Connie. I don't know if you guys saw that segment of, stories on my TikTok.
0: Yeah. No, uh, just tell everybody like, you know, it's the first time people are hearing your story. So, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. So Connie was the first person I, I knew as my family. She, I saw my mom off and on throughout my childhood. My siblings were with my grandparents. So I saw my siblings as well. I knew my real family. I knew their names. I knew everything about them. However, my grandparents were older. My grandma was not doing well with diabetes. And so another child was a lot to take on, which is why I was with Connie instead of with my grandparents. They already had three of my mother's children. However, a situation happened in Connie's home, her husband, I'm like, not sure how much I should share of this. Her husband did something he shouldn't have to her daughter. So that's all I'm going to say, because I don't know who's going to see this, but that ended up in a situation where I had to be removed from the home and they were the only family I knew. So I apparently told Connie before I left them, I will do whatever it takes to make it back to you guys. And she didn't tell me that until I was 23 years old. So that's a big piece of this puzzle, because I think that that was like a mentally, just damaging part of something that happened to me. And it set the precedent for how I acted for years and years to come. And I never understood why I acted the way I did, but yeah, I developed behavioral issues basically thinking it would make me get returned to my family.
0: How old were you at this point?
3: I think I was four or five. Okay.
0: Yeah.
3: So from there I got sent to my aunt. My sisters told me that since my grandparents couldn't take me, they just wanted to keep me in the family. They were going to put me in foster care. And my grandma was like, well, like, wait, if I, what happens if I can like find someone in the family who takes her? So my aunt took me. She lives in Atlanta. So I said I was born and raised in St. Louis. I did do a brief stint in Atlanta. However, behavioral issues, my aunt couldn't handle them. But instead of telling anyone in my family that she couldn't handle me and that she didn't want to do this any longer. She brought me back to St. Louis and put me in the foster care system without mm. telling anyone.
1: Oh, God. And where, where was your mom still incarcerated?
3: I think she was kind of incarcerated on and off. She had mm-hmm. two more children after me. So that's why. And I, I knew that there was other kids and I knew my sister, like, I remember my sisters all being together. And I was like, why did I get separated? What happened? And that's, they told me like later on that my aunt did that and that they couldn't find me because after they put me in foster, she didn't tell them that that she did that. So it was like years later, they're like, where's, where's Kayla? Where's Kayla? And then she finally admitted that she brought me back to St. Louis.
0: Mm. And
3: This is your mom, your mother's sister? I believe so. Okay. And yeah, she had, I, the, she had the power to do that. And that's why I'm wondering now because I see now doing my own research into like all the stories of where the system failed kids. Like, why couldn't this person take a? Why there's so much? Was it yellow tape, red tape, mm-hmm, red there's tape? So tape yeah, yeah, what you can and can't do. So I'm very confused on how a lot of this happened. But this is what I'm being told, and I, I mean, I have to take everyone's word for it because I have, my memory isn't the best.
0: Yeah, I mean trauma will help erase your memory yeah. for sure. I have the same issue. What year was this? Like the so 90s? this should have been around like 1999, okay.
3: 1998, 99. So after I came back to St. Louis, I'm not I think I went to maybe one or two foster homes, maybe like emergency care or something like that. But then I quickly was put in custody with a family that adopted me.
0: Oh, so Connie never adopted you.
3: No, she wanted to, but she never got to.
0: Okay. And did
1: Connie know where you were at this point or no?
3: I don't think she knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can explain that later why, like, I'm pretty sure she, she didn't know. But yeah, I get, and I'm sorry if this is like really confusing. I didn't, I tried to like write down the timeline. I'm like, this is hazy.
0: <laughs> you, you can do what you can do. So this other family Actually adopts you, and you yes. are now at this age six or so. Yeah, I'm like
3: five or six because I remember okay. starting first grade with this family. Okay, I did kindergarten while I was in Atlanta. I started first grade, so that helps me kind of remember the timeline. So at this point, I was in Webster Groves, where like kind of close to where I'm to where I am now. Mm-hmm. I I love the family, but I guess I still had the behavioral issues and. The mother had mental issues as well. From what I can understand now is maybe like a multiple personality disorder. Oh. She bought toys for children that were in her head. So I would see all these toys and I would ask if I could play with them. She's like, no, no, no. Like that's for, and would tell me like some name that a kid I never heard before.
0: Was this a white family? Mm-hmm. And were they um, their only child at this point?
3: They had two other children, which I think one of them might have been biological and the other one was adopted. If not, they were both adopted.
0: And they were older than you? Mm
3: -hmm. They were like teens. Okay. The father was older and then the mother had mental issues. And I just think I was too much for them that they didn't really realize what they were taking on when they adopted me. So I just remember a meeting one day that I was a part of for whatever reason. I didn't understand what the meeting was. And I was like, why are my caseworkers here? And they were just sitting down talking about how they could not take care of me anymore. And I like, I was really young, but I knew what was happening. Like I knew I'm like.
1: In front of you, they're saying this.
3: Yeah. I was like, I'm about to, I'm about to get uprooted again. Like I -hmm. I have to leave. And so that was heartbreaking, heartbreaking.
0: And it must've been really scary. and. Oh,
3: terrifying. And mm. I mean, I don't really know how I handled it at first. I remember there was a blanket that they gave me. I had this like Winnie the Pooh blanket with them. It was like my security blanket. And I tried to take it everywhere with me. And I just remember it being in like a trash bag. Sorry, I'm going to cry. Mm. It was in a trash bag. Myself was always in trash bags. Oh my God. Going place to place. And I was always like, where's my blanket? Where's my blanket? And it got lost eventually. And I was so sad because like, that was all I had from them. Like my, my new family. So I went into foster care after that again. And then I was just like home to home to home. Eventually mm-hmm. I went to a children's home, hated it. Yeah, A girl ran away one day and I was like, I wish I could run away too. But I was too scared because I was like, where would I go? What would I eat? I remember in some of the homes, I was literally eating food out of trash cans because I was starving. Like one of the homes, she didn't feed us. That's why I like when people are like, foster care is always an option. I'm like, you don't know. know. Sorry. (laughs) You don't know what's going on in some of those homes. Like one of the homes, her punishment was, and I don't even remember what we did. There was a few other kids. She would lock us in a room. The doorknob wasn't on, so we couldn't get out. We did have a few toys. There was no actual bed, though. There was, like, cots. There was, like, a little toy cup that I would literally spit in. I mean, like, I can't believe I'm sharing this. I would spit in it and drink it because I was so thirsty. Oh, God, Michaela. And then I don't know how I figured out how to get out, but when I, I got out and I just remember eating food from a trash can, there was, like, a stale piece of bread that I was eating, and it tasted disgusting. And, like, now to this day, like, I'll eat something, and it, like, brings back that, like, memories of that. Yeah. It's, it's like little things like that. that will literally bring me to my knees on a daily basis because I'm like, I'm a well-adjusted adult now. I should be past these things, but.
0: I don't like, know that things. you'll. I don't. Yeah. I, don't, know. I, I can't <laughs> imagine.
3: Yeah. <laughs> some of these things like stick with you. So then I had another home. I went to like, these are two of the worst that I can remember. I was older at this point, probably nine. She was so violent. like The littlest things could set her off where I was being hit all the time. Why did they
1: move you randomly from home to home? Did you know, they I find out was, of, about the other home? or?
3: Yeah, it would be the home couldn't take care of me anymore. They would remove me from the home because I, I hope that someone finally realized what was going on in that other home that I told you about. I know. Because-
1: that's what I was wondering if someone reported it, it, was,
3: it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I tried to tell my caseworker. I don't know. I feel like I was there longer than I should have been. If they really listened to me, like what I, when I was saying that. Um, not eating. Yeah, yeah. We're not eating her. It was either her son or maybe another foster kid was coming in our room at night. Another thing I barely remember, but I just remember the door opening and then. That's blacking it. Out. So I, <laughs> I can yeah. assume what happened, but. Just like terrible things in that home. So yeah, I did leave eventually.
0: How long were you there? Do you remember? Like months?
3: I couldn't tell you. I I have no idea how long I was there, but I know it was longer than it should have been because I remember, I'm not, I'm a lot of things, but I'm pretty straightforward. I'm pretty vocal about like, if I see something wrongs happening, I, w- I probably wasn't the kid that was just going to be like, oh yeah, this is fine. Like this is normal, right? So I was confused on why I was, there for so long when I was telling them like, Hey, this is have my- you ever
1: had a chance to meet those caseworkers again as an adult? No, mm-hmm.
3: I've tried to contact one of them that I can remember. And she's like, am I, my now adopted parents told me that they have always had like an issue with her communicating. And she's the only one I can remember. I don't know like where my files are. I don't know how to access other- like, who Yes. Yeah.
0: I I bet there's resources out there somehow. I'd love to help you with that if I could somehow. And maybe,
1: maybe someone hearing this will know something that could help you. Yeah. And
0: And this wasn't that long ago, you know, these harrowing stories have been around. You kind of think, oh, things are modern and people communicate, but, but the fact that this was 20 years ago and it's still going on. It is right. Right. The the system is so beyond broken and Mm -hmm. it needs such repair
3: And I hear about stories far worse than mine every day. And I just wonder how the system is failing this hard, failing these kids and all the evidence can be there. But like I said, there's all this tape around what Mm -hmm.
1: you can't
3: do. But I was like, we need to get kids out Mm -hmm. while you have a chance. The next family I was telling you about, it was like one of the times where I was like, I'm so lucky. The system did do its job. She was just, like I said, she was very violent and sorry if you guys hear my kids. No, (laughs) it's okay. It's a nice nice sound. It's joyful
0: (laughs) to hear your child.
3: Yeah. (laughs) So just, I remember being backed into corners, just like her with a belt all the time. Uh, Littlest things could set her off. I'm not saying I was an angel by any means, but I just know I didn't deserve that. No, no. And I was coming to day camp. I went to a YMCA day camp at the time. And I was coming to day camp with bruises and I remember one day the counselors like pulled me aside and I'm like, what are you okay? Like what's going on? And I was just like, no, my mom hits me all the time. And they're like, your mom? I was like, well, she's my foster mom, but like, she hits me all the time and I'm scared of her. They called the police and
1: I don't know that
3: day, the next day, I just remember two police cars and a caseworker coming to pick me up from day camp.
1: Good for them. And they
3: picked, they got my stuff and got me out of there. And I was like, thank you.
1: It takes adults to notice and to care and to follow through.
3: Yeah. So I remember her name, her name. Well, like, I don't remember her name, name, but they have like cool names at the day camp. Her name was tiger. And so (laughs) I asked on Instagram like years ago, I'm like, does anyone know? Like, she must've been in this area to we work at this day camp? Do we know who she is? Because I just want to tell her thank you because she might have saved my life. Yeah. But yeah, never found her. But I still hope that one day I will.
1: I like her name was Tiger. Yeah. Was the strength what of what that. the name. Yeah. Right. Yes.
3: Fitting name. But yeah. So I think I did. I think after that was actually the children's home. And then I got sent to who are now my adopted parents. And I remember it was like such a. Cool home to me because they had adopted nine kids. So I came there and I knew my mom took interest in me. She was talking to me and asked me about my story, and I told her what I knew. I apparently told her some things that weren't true. I fabricated some things. I don't know why I did that, but like we know, like we talked about, yeah. it and I'm like that, that those things weren't true. But she let me go. She's like I. She had so many kids coming in and out of the door that she. I don't really know what it was, but something was meant to be because I went to maybe one other like emergency care home. And then I came back to them and I think I was supposed to be emergency care with them too. And then they were like, do you mind keeping her for a few more days? And they said, yeah. And then I turned into a week and then it turned into just me being my foster child. And she kept on, she still kept on talking to me about my story. And I was like, do these people want to adopt me? <laughs> And I was so so excited. How, How old
0: were you at this point?
3: I was 11. Yeah. So one day they sat down with the family, all nine of their other children, two of them were really young at the time. So I'm sure they didn't understand what was happening, but they asked the family if they wanted to adopt me. And a lot of my siblings actually said no, but still regardless, they adopted me and I was adopted for good in August of 2006. And I was a month away from being 12 at that time. So that should have been like my happily ever after. And don't get me wrong. I am so grateful, but there was still a lot to work through. Like,
1: oh, I'm sure daughter, of course.
3: as an older kid who remembers so much and has already gone through so much was hard. I had to figure out how to integrate into the family. I had to deal with siblings who didn't really necessarily like me.
0: Were any of those siblings their biological kids or w- was everybody adopted?
3: They have one biological child. Two are their biological niece and nephew that they adopted from my mm-hmm. mom's brother. And yeah, the rest of them are children they had in foster care.
1: They adopted from your mom's brother? hmm Oh, that's interesting.
3: Yeah, isn't that super funny? I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm, no, not your biological mom, your your adoptive mom. Brother, correct?
3: Yeah, 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 right, right. I'm
0: curious. Do you have any thoughts about? Did they change your name? Not your first name, but you took on a new last name. And
3: we actually changed both. So, oh, you did. I came there. I knew one of my sisters. Her name was Nicole when she was before she was adopted, and they changed her name to Nicolette. So I wanted something like that. Like I was like, oh, I just want like I want a new name. My name choice was Katrina. I don't know where it came from, why.
0: <laughs> well, it was mom, right around the time of Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> you
3: no, know, it was. And I was like, thank God they didn't let me do that. But my mom, <laughs> I think she was fully prepared to let me change my name to whatever I wanted. But she was like, don't you think that's going to be a little hard to just go by a, f- a whole new name? Guiding like, you oh, with yeah, it. Yeah. Not like, that would be very weird to just all of a sudden be someone else. So um, my name was Kayla before, and I just changed it to Kayla.
0: Okay. Now cuz we talk a lot about this about how do you feel about doing that now in retrospect and looking back you had this whole life you had an identity are there other solutions to full on changing someone's identity and maybe just legal guardianship just in case later a biological family can get it together and you do you know what i mean? Do you know what i'm asking?
3: Yeah, i get what you're asking. I think there are other solutions. It's what i wanted at the time and i don't regret that now, but it did hinder my family being able to find me because oh. later on I found out that they tried. They tried They've been so looking. hard to find me, but they couldn't find me. My name when I was born was Kayla, but with like K-A apostrophe A-Y-L-A. Uh huh. And then once I was adopted the first time, they dropped the like second okay. A in the apostrophe and I was just Kayla. And then I got adopted again and changed it to my Kayla. So it just got harder and harder for them to ever find out where I was.
1: And how did, did you have reconnected with them? So how, how did that go? Like, how did you find them? And
3: so it was, I, like I told you guys earlier, I knew their names. I knew everyone's names. So I found them once, like just with like a Google search. I was just, I don't know. I found one of their names and then I saw, I was like, possible relatives, this, this, and this. I'm like, Oh, these are, these are them. So I tried to find her on Facebook, my my biological mom, and nothing was like coming up. I knew what age she was when she had me, the ages weren't like quite matching up. And I just was like, I guess maybe she's not on Facebook. And I didn't know what to do with the information on Google. I was like pretty young at the time. I'm like, do I sending a letter didn't dawn upon me? Like, I don't know. I just didn't know what to do with the information. So I kind of let it go for a while. And then years later. I found something on Facebook that was saying like, watch out, like your family's information could be on here. And so I went to the website and I put in my family's information, like my adopted family. I'm like, Oh my God, we're all, all, we're all on here. So I sent it all to my family. I'm like, make sure you guys get this information off of here. So like people can't find your information. I'm like, wait a second. Uh So I did it again where I put in my biological families information. And I found all of them again, where they're at. And I was like, okay, I see what their names are. Like I'll try just searching for them on Facebook. And somehow this time I found one that seemed like she, it would be my mom. I like looked at her facial features. I think I saw her birth date on there. And I was like, this, this seems like it's right. So I sent the most awkward message of my life via Facebook. Like, <laughs> Hey, I think I'm your daughter." Do you think so? Yes, is <laughs> ringing morning. a bell. Yeah, and that was so like nerve wracking to wait for her message. And she asked me what my birth date was when she messaged me back, and I told her. And she goes, "Oh my god, you're my daughter!" And Oof. I was like, <sighs> "I just found my biological mother on Facebook." On Facebook, so immediately she got me on a call with my biological sisters, and we all just—I don't think I don't know if there was like actual tears, but I just can't tell you what came over me that day to hear their voices, to hear how they've been looking for me for years and years. Oh, long to find me. oh my God. And to like I, I was like, why how did I get lost? Like, why are you guys together? And then they told me about my aunt just to know that I was like wanted all those years. Oh. Yeah. Cause I was like, I thought like maybe no one cared about me or I was like the ugly duckling sibling. I don't know. You know, like, you just have been looking. Years to wonder, you don't mm. know what the situation is, but they had been looking the entire time. And so we, we tried to pick up where we left off with that 20 years of difference between me and this family. Like I haven't been able to figure out how to integrate with them. So I don't really talk to them anymore, but like to know that they're here is nice.
1: Yeah. Did you get together with them in person or anything like that? You yeah, met
3: my nieces and nephews, we got together in person. They were invited to my, they came to my bridal shower. My biological mom has met my oldest son and my siblings have met him. They haven't met my daughter yet. Kind of like fell off. Like I said, like, I, I don't know. I think that they think maybe I don't try. I don't. It's not because I don't want to. It's just because I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it's such an awkward situation to be in that I kind of just avoid it in general.
1: Yeah. Reunion can be awkward
3: and very difficult. It's it's really not my favorite feeling.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Did your biological mom get her life together?
3: Uh, I mean, she's, I think she's sober, which is good. I don't really know what she's doing otherwise. She very lightly acknowledged what she put me through. So like, I guess I kind of have a little bit of closure there of her knowing that like her decisions set this whole series of events in my life. She lightly acknowledged it, just saying kind of for one moment that she felt bad, but otherwise I don't really know. I don't get a lot from her. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what she's feeling, what she's thinking, what she's doing with her life. And do you know who your father is? Yeah, unfortunately he died 8 months before I found them.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So that was another situation because there was no father on my birth certificate. I was like, who is my father? And my mom, my biological mom actually married my father. So she had she had children, she had six children, all had different fathers, but she married my father and I found out like he had been looking for me too. He tried so hard after my mom was incarcerated. He was in the military at the time. So he was gone. And then he found out that she had had a baby and he's like, where is she?
1: And he had been looking as well.
3: He had been looking as well. Mm -hmm. And my sister told, it was the one who told me that she's like, I think, I think our mom was a little embarrassed because she didn't even know where you were at and she had no answers for him. So yeah, that was really sad. He died never knowing where mm-hmm. I was, but I got connected with his kids too. So now I know my siblings on his side as well.
0: Oh,
1: and were you their only child together? Mm-hmm. And are you close to those siblings? I was just going to ask. Mm-hmm. No, we
3: we haven't. I haven't met them yet, so I haven't met the siblings. On we keep on saying like. on social media, like we'll get together. And you know, like how that goes where you're together sometime and you don't actually make plans, but I will make a conscious effort one of these days to get to know them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
1: It's a lot.
3: lot. Like there's a lot of siblings. There's a lot of things happening. I have my own family. I'm really busy. Your own small kids. Yeah. Whenever I think of like sitting down to kind of do something that makes me uncomfortable, it isn't like the first thing I want to do, obviously. So I haven't prioritized it.
0: So going back to you get adopted into the family and did that turn out to be a good experience?
3: I will say that I think I'm very grateful for it because I don't want to know what it would have been like to age out of the foster care system Mm -hmm. and not have anyone at all. But I am a little jaded by the whole experience of there was a lot of other kids who had a lot of other different life experiences. We didn't fully get to grow up together and I just wish I had that like sibling bond with someone mm-hmm. I, I wanted. Like, it was so cool to say I have like nine siblings, but to not be close to any of them. Now I talk to a few of them and I would consider us like close ish, but it doesn't feel like the sibling bond that I know, like most of my friends have, or I've acknowledged this. And I was talking about it with my mom the other day. She was also really broken when she decided to have this many kids and you know, the hurt people, hurt people. Kind of Right. 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 Yeah. She hurt me a lot growing up. Just so many things that she said, so many things that she did. And I know now she was doing her best. So I've made peace with that and I've accepted it. And I have tried to move away from saying forgiveness because forgiveness kind of puts you above someone. So acceptance is like the the best thing that I can do is say, "I, I accept what happened and I accept that she apologized to me and I accept that she did her best in that moment because like now I'm a mother. I understand there's days where I'm not perfect. And I think about, is my kid going to look back on this and be like, she was doing this all the time. And that traumatized me. So I try to give my mom the same grace that I hope my children give me.
1: And just her, her apology is, is large. I'm sure for you very
3: large. Cause like I was, that was something we really struggled with growing up is like, you know, I feel like that generation did not apologize. I apologize to my kid all the time. Yeah. I did something the other day and I was like, I shouldn't have done that. I am so, so sorry. He's too, he doesn't care. He's like, whatever. But at least if I start that habit now, I yeah. will hopefully it become natural to me to always apologize to him when I'm doing something wrong. But apologies weren't a thing. And I just think there were so many things growing up that like after foster care and all those things that I needed just a safe space and I don't feel like my family was always that safe space. Mhm.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it takes a a long time. You had 12 years not knowing them and yeah, there's so much in how did you become who you are now? I mean, uh, clearly you have resilience and strength. What happened? You turn 18. What was your life path? How did you end up with two kids? And <laughs> are, you, are you married? And did it, it, do you find being close to someone easy or difficult?
3: I am married. And that was probably the biggest hindrance for me getting married is I had no clue how to allow myself to be not loved, but cause I, I think being loved was fine. It was a little uncomfortable. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> but it was like the affection, the, f- when you're in foster care no one feels very comfortable being close to you and like kiss you goodnight. you good night. No one's you know, reading you bedtime stories, and then once I was adopted, I was twelve, and this is another thing me and my mom talked about. She didn't know how to be affectionate to me. She's like, it was awkward. It's easier when you're a kid, a little
1: kid, yeah,
3: yeah a little kid. But I didn't know what to do, and I again, another thing I'm accepting that that would be awkward. I don't know if I would have done a better job if I was in the same position, but she didn't show me affection, and so I struggled with it. So my husband now he grew up with a wonderful mother like my mother-in-law is an angel sent from heaven <laughs> huh. so he grew up with a very his parents are divorced but a very normal childhood otherwise with a really loving mother so that was his love that's his attachment style like he is very affectionate and i i almost broke up with him because of it i was like i don't think i can do this but i just kind of communicated with him constantly and told him what I was thinking, what I was feeling, my history, what I needed from him. And he respected my boundaries. And so I slowly got to kind of learn what a relationship should be like. And yeah, now we have two kids. I have a two and a half year old and a six month old. And I think that my decision to have children was a little bit selfish because I wanted to, you know, right the wrongs or be the parent. I never or have had, that connection, I too. To with parent, though. Yeah, I always wanted to be a parent, Yeah, period. But also just thinking about, like, this was my opportunity to give someone, like, what I didn't have. Now I'm like, oh, okay, like, that makes a lot of sense. But I don't find it hard to be affectionate towards them. Obviously, they are babies, little kids, but... I just knew before having them that I had to deep dive into some of the things that were happening. Like next door to us, there is a family that I'm pretty sure is a foster family, and I saw a caseworker come to their house, and I started crying. I mm. started crying just, just seeing, seeing it a come to the yeah. house. I started crying, and it was just little things like that that made me realize, like maybe I'm not as well adjusted as I thought. So I it takes years
1: and years and years, and
3: you still years. won't be. Yeah. And I haven't gone to therapy again. I went to therapy a lot as a kid. So that I guess that's why I've been kind of, I didn't want to go again as an adult. But oddly enough, TikTok is what helped me. Like there's so many therapists on there, people who know things about trauma, who helped me realize where my trauma was rooting from and how I could cope with it. And how to move forward to make sure that I'm not passing these things on to my children, the breaking generational curses, basically.
0: Yes. Yes.
3: So I will, I will tribute a lot of who I am today to TikTok or Instagram too. Cause I feel like I follow like a lot of like psychologists, therapists and stuff like that on there too. And I read these things and I just soak up all the information to kind of try to make me a better person without going to therapy, but I'm, I'm not against therapy at all. I just against the price of it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> isn't it amazing to the social media connections we can have? I mean, just even how we met you the same way. Yeah,
3: it's 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 incredible. And I've met a wide variety of like amazing people through it. And the things we have access to the information, all yeah. the resources, it's all, it's incredible. I love, I think social media gets a bad rap and rightfully so in some regards, but you can use it for good. Yeah. Definitely. I think your,
0: your story is definitely going to touch people. Wow. I mean, it's just, and, and your strength and inner beauty. And I just, yeah. I mean, yeah. really, Oh, I, I just can't what you've been through and where you have come and where, where you are and you have, a, you're in a marriage with kids. I mean, it's like, you've beaten the odds. You really, yeah, I really I have.
3: I did not think I was going to end up here. There was lots of nights where I sat there and I was like, I am, always going to be alone like it's always just going to be me and I had such bad abandonment issues Mm -hmm. and they're still here that's why I think I feel so sad whenever I I have an event my family wasn't involved with a lot of stuff like our marriage our baby showers or this other thing like I remember the sprinkle for my daughter no one person in my family showed up and I started crying and I was like why am I crying over this like I kind of knew they weren't going to come and I think that I realized it was like the old womb of feeling always abandoned is what's yeah. opened back up. So yeah, like the abandonment issues might always be there, but I just get by by like learning when I can about myself and about others and educating others and knowing that despite everything, I built something for myself and I'm doing my, like the best job that I can, yeah. to, you know, maintain healthier relationships now.
0: And you're close to your husband's family. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask mm-hmm. the community. Yeah. Good. That's, yeah. that's great. Oh, Michaela, this has been amazing.
3: Yeah. I'm sorry. I hope, I hope I didn't talk too long. Oh, oh God, my gosh. Not at no. all. I'm like, oh, I, just, I feel like I, I ramble just, when I tell a story. Cause I don't know where the story is going. So
1: it actually, good. it actually was really well told and put yeah. together.
0: I'm, I'm very really, touched. really, <laughs> really moving. Mm-hmm. Very, very moving. Cute. And I hope Anybody listening can help find tiger and be your caseworkers <laughs> yes, and really be yeah.
3: Really
0: be great. I mean, it's putting together the pieces of your life, solving that puzzle. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's mm-hmm. what's the most wild thing to me about being adopted is how everything is such a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people, my friends, like they know everything. They they know how happen- happened yeah. in their childhood. They know this person, they know that person, they have someone to tell them. But for me and lots of people like me, everything's a puzzle to put together and you never Mm -hmm. really actually know what the information is. And I guess we can't have access to it if we can find like files and stuff like that. But can you imagine for most typical people to have to piece their life together by some files?
1: No. It's
3: just crazy.
1: Yeah, that's I, why, I just wish that's somebody, why adoptees yeah. are
0: such good investigators. Yes, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. and I <laughs> wish somebody would hear this and and try to find your files too. It makes me so mad you don't have access.
3: Yeah, to I this out. I'm sure I can figure it out. I haven't put a lot of energy into finding them, but. Well, you have
0: two, you know, you have a baby and a toddler. Like, <laughs> <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I wish I could hold your little baby. I've been Me dying too. to hold a baby.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in St. Louis, she likes being held.
1: <laughs>
3: we literally, hear, you're
1: like apologizing for hearing them. I'm like, oh, baby. Just hear. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I love that noise. Yeah, I was Aww. like, I can't tell if they were like happy noises or like sad <laughs> noises because sometimes it's just like blending together.
4: But.
0: <laughs> well, this has just been incredible. Thank you so much, Michaela. You thank, know, thank you. you guys.
3: I love what you guys are doing. And this is amazing to give people a platform to talk about their stories. And I really appreciate you guys.
0: Thank you. And we're going to stay in touch with you. Right, us. Yeah, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Bye. 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 I don't even, I'm just like (laughs) blown away by her.
1: Me too. I have a loss for words, honestly. She's the most resilient person out there. And Mm -hmm. just, I mean, watching her videos and seeing, she puts these videos on TikTok that everybody should go and watch because they're just really poignant and deep and honest and just hearing her. Her story, it breaks my heart to think about what she went through.
0: Oh, and just to be so young and so alone and navigating life on your own in no safe space and all of uh, it. And just, it, you know, and it brings up what you said. I mean, the system
1: is still broken. This is not years and years ago, this is now. Mm-hmm. And people really can help. We can all reach out and help and find ways we can help in our own communities. It makes me want to get more involved in my community. I know. Just I was this, just thinking,
0: oh. you know, well, this
1: was a great episode. It,
0: it really was. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of stunned into, yeah. Yeah. That's about all I can say. <laughs> so well, glad we had her. Me too. What, we'll a, what an amazing spirit. Yep. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today.
1: And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at The Making of Me Podcast.
0: And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon The Making of Me. Bye. See you next time.